This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That Absolutely delighted to be joined by both Kevin Day and Kieran Maguire. They host the Price of Football podcast. I've went on record many times as saying that the show is by far my favourite podcast. And the reason it is, is because I learn something in every show. Um, yeah. Kevin has said many a time that his eyebrows raise during the recordings. My eyebrows raise every single week listening to it. Kieran's um, background is, is something that also raises my eyebrows, as well as the laughs that Kevin gives me as well. First of all, how are both of you? Uh, I'm very well, thank you. My eyebrows were at their limit yesterday when Kieran, for no apparent reason, started talking about having a poo at football grounds, but you know, it had nothing to do with football finance. Then it started a, a tweet poll this morning about how many people have done exactly that. So, you know, I'm, I'm great. And it's always nice to be talking to you, Callum, and again to Kieran, who I seem to live with at the moment. <laughs> well, I've, I've been for my first... For my, for my first uh, uh, haircut in four months this morning, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling uh, I'm, I'm feeling very good. Thank you very much. Oh, are your ears cold? <laughs> yes, they are. Yes, and, and not due to my Russian girlfriend for once. <laughs> <laughs> she, keeps, she keeps your ears warm, surely. Isn't she, isn't yes, that's true. <laughs> I'm interested to, to ask, and I'm, I'm sure you've covered this on the show, but for, for my listeners, had you two met before you'd started the Price of Football podcast? No, um, it, it, it feels like we've made up for lost time in the nine months ever since. It feels like we've known each other for a long time. But no, it, it, it came completely out of the blue. This uh, chap called Guy Kilty, who's a, a producer at Five Live, based up in Salford, basically got in touch with me and said that uh, he had an idea for a football finance podcast. And I said, well, that's great. Good luck with that. Um, <laughs> uh, and he, he, he said, no, we'd, we'd like you uh, to do it. I said, who's we? And he explained about... Uh, uh, Kieran and I said look I'd, I'd, I'm sure it'd be great um, but I have no interest in football finance whatsoever I'm I'm too romantic for finance I'm no good at figures rubbish at numbers and Guy said that's exactly why we want you to do it so you can be the kind of professional idiot so he, he put uh, Kieran and I in touch and I was delighted to learn that Kieran was both a teetotaler and a Brighton fan so that's two big crosses um, uh, and then both Kieran and I got on very well when we first met. We're of a certain age. We have a certain left-leaning view on the world and a certain romantic notion of, about football and working-class ownership of football. And we agreed to do it. But I think, Kieran, we both thought that it would probably last four weeks and, and we'd get 20 people listening at most. But as it, as it happened, it seemed to strike a chord. I, I think in, in a terrible stroke of good luck, we recorded our first one the week that Barry went bust basically so our first pod was pretty much 30 minutes of righteous anger about that and it, it, it as i say it struck a chord and we've been we've been going ever since and it's just been growing week in week out and it, it, it still amazes me actually that what on paper is possibly a dry subject it turns out to be so informative and entertaining and uh, apparently popular i've got to agree with that i i, I was the same as kevin when, when guy Guy originally contacted me uh, last year and he he wanted it to have it out as a show and he was going to be the producer and he was going to charge me so much for the for the privilege of going, well, it seems, seems to involve me doing an awful lot of work and paying <laughs> you. Um, so it didn't seem like a good idea. So I sort of rejected that. Um, and at, at the time, I don't, I don't know whether, did he ever tell you that uh, he wanted Justin Morehouse to do it? No, okay. I'll, oh. I'll, I'll see you later. It's lovely meeting you both. Uh, uh, that's uh, that's he's not, he's not mentioned that funny enough. No, he he did mention that within two weeks, if it went well, we'd be earning a thousand pound a week. He mentioned that, that but no, no, oddly enough, the Justin Morehouse thing didn't uh, wasn't mentioned. That's interesting to know. I shall I shall refer to myself as the second choice host for the pod. In Great. That's another reason why I enjoy doing it because not a week goes by without you revealing something to me that you probably shouldn't have done. But anyway, crack on with what Guy said to you. 
Well, so he, he, I, I said, well, I, I couldn't see any benefit in, in me paying Guy for me to do a load of work. Um, so I said I thought it'd be far better if, if it was co-hosted uh, and uh, you know I, I listen to an awful lot of podcasts because I spend most of my life marking exams um, and I you know I'm, I'm not blowing smoke up your backside here Kevin but I'd always liked your work on match of the day too and you know have, having I, I knew we were of a certain age of a certain musical taste and uh, uh, I think we are both football romantic so so that's why I said you know I'm, I'm moving down south I'll be uh, Kevin's down south as well. I think there's, there's lots of positives to if we if we have it a go. But I I I had no no expectation of any progress or success of the show. In terms of Kieran's background, Kevin, how surprised have you been about some of the revelations he's given us as listeners over the last few months? Oh, just constantly, Callum. I mean, it's it's yeah. I'm a stand-up comedian. I I work in TV, showbiz, theatre. I've been doing that for thirty years. I'm the one that should have the rock and roll lifestyle. I mean, I've. I've woken up in the occasional skip after a show in the Edinburgh Festival, but uh, the fact that I'm weekly outdone in the exotic past life by an accountant is a source of great shame to me, I have to say. I had no idea that accountants were... I'm looking at my... My accountant actually calls himself Bobby Numbers on Twitter, and I look at Bobby Numbers in a in a new light now, because in all the years he's been looking after me, it hasn't occurred to me that he may also have this secret life that involves the mafia... Russian girlfriends, Blackpool nightclubs, Scunthorpe, any any continent, you name it. Kieran's met somebody weird and and had a relationship with him. It's um I I, I fully just didn't fully expect that from an account. And then I've I've met the Baroness, Kieran's wife, who's the most glamorous woman you can imagine. And it's just yeah, my wife's very very glamorous as well. And I'm, of course, but you know, I'm, I'm in showbiz. Of course, I've got a glamorous wife. I wasn't expecting the accountant to sweep in with a beautiful, sophisticated woman on his arm. It's just I thought I thought Kieran would all be just spreadsheets and bottom lines, but um, you know, there are different spreadsheets and different bottom lines. It turns out, Callum. <laughs> in terms of you, Kieran, a lot of club chairmen, directors, and owners must absolutely detest the fact that you can <laughs> you can show them up when they're trying to maybe hide something in the small print as they like to do. How's that been for you over the course of this podcast? Because you're always very active on Twitter, but now you've got an enormously popular platform where you can go into detail about some of the small print that they're trying to hide from us. Well, I, I think ultimately I, I see myself as a football fan and uh, just one that has a strange hobby and this that's all this is all, all, uh, I, I don't have the greatest of relationships with with club owners um, I, I was sued by one uh, for comments I made last year which was a bit unfortunate for him given that the comments were directly from his accounts um, so that, so that didn't, didn't get particularly far um, I, I've been uh, I've, I've been referred to uh, by some somebody very senior one of the in in English football, as a, a raging self-publicist who has no talent whatsoever, um, so uh, it it makes me feel uncomfortable because I I am not an extrovert by nature and I don't re I don't seek publicity, uh, so I feel quite uncomfortable about it. But it, it it goes it goes with the territory, I guess, and and the fact that we, you know, I've said I know Kevin doesn't like this this phrase. I, you know, we are we are the sand in the Vaseline of the, the smooth running operations of football. Um, so you know, as as a as a fanzine fan, as a you know, as a as a blogger and that type of thing, that's what you want to do. You you want to get under their skin uh, when you see all these bland platitudes full of management speak come out from clubs, and you go, well, hold on, you you've not actually been particularly transparent there, and uh, th this is why. The the other side to that though, Callum, is that because Kieran has a, a reputation for integrity and honesty, we will occasionally get a club CEO or a club official saying, "You might like to have a closer look at at something." Sometimes it's about their club, and sometimes sometimes it's about something else. We'll also get journalists will say, I, "I think there's something going on. Can you can you have a look?" So there is that side to it, but also the the fact is that most people in football don't expect football fans in particular to read their accounts or to notice that the accounts are late they don't realize there's somebody like kieran out there who reads these things for fun but also can interpret them it's, it's like there's no you know palace can can publish their accounts and i'll look at them and i'll go that i i hope that's good that i hope the numbers are, are right it seems fine 
Whereas Kieran looks at these things in a completely different way and he actually enjoys it. So he can spot things a mile off. He can spot little red flags that the rest of us wouldn't notice. And it's like the Wigan situation, for example, which is an absolute disgrace, which we are heavily involved with on, on the pod. It was Kieran who first, four or five weeks ago, flagged up the fact that these these three mysterious Far Eastern gamblers were clearly doing something strange with the club. And it was a week after that that the rest of football caught up, essentially. So it, for, I, I, it, the more football clubs realise that they can't sweep things under the carpet, they can't blind us with science, that because people like Kieran are out there, the, the better it is. Because, you know, one of the good things about our pod is that we learn in the most part that there are a lot of clubs who are, who are run by well-meaning, honest individuals who have a good relationship with their fans and for the most part we don't mention them the good news stories we don't mention but the the problem is that for every one like that you've got a Steve Dale at Wigan uh, at Berry I beg your pardon or you've got these people at, uh, at Wigan or you've got strange goings on at Sheffield Wednesday and Derby and Kieran has to call them out and the fact is of course that when you are as I like to call Kieran a grass People, people, people will will be unhappy about that. And it's, but it, it's it's absolutely essential that that someone like the Kieran's out there. And what's quite inspiring, I, I think, Callum, is that so many young people are, are telling us now that they because of Kieran, they they're starting to look at accountancy as a career, and they're starting to look into football accounts as well. Because Callum, you've got the same view of football as 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 we have. You've got the same romantic, and I know from talking to you that. You've got the same romantic notion of football that we have. You you know the history of football. I mean, you spoke to Laurie McMenemy this week, who's a fantastic guy, but he's, he's of a different generation. But you know his context, which is great. But And you're like me. I sometimes don't want to know that there's a murky side of football. But thank God there is someone like Kieran there to show us that there is and also to suggest ways that we can do something about it. Definitely, and and you mentioned the thing that I always say, and I've said this to you on on the show that we recorded as well, Kevin. Is when your eyebrow raises, it's it's amazing because as a genuine football fan, you love Palace. We all love our clubs. As fans listening to the show, our eyebrows raise at the exact same time. What's yeah. been the biggest eyebrow raising moment, or the the a few of the biggest ones? Because as as, as I say, every single show I come away going, that's a bit mad. I can't believe that. I think. In the first few weeks, my eyebrows were were just constantly hoisted. They were like a pirate flag on a ship. Basically, they were constantly. And the, the and I like to think because my my wife, who I've been married to for a long time, who I love dearly, can communicate more displeasure with her eyebrows than she can than any other person in the world I've ever met before. But I'm I'm starting to match her now. The, the eyebrows go up less and less because I'm less and less surprised. But I I think the first. I mean, there are some things that Kieran told me about Steve Dale at, at Berry, for example, which on an individual club level were incredible. I think the still the biggest surprise for me, and and this is still the thing I say, I tell people about, is how much of a basket case the championship is in England financially, um, how much clubs are spending to try and get in the Premier League, and and on a on a regular basis, virtually every club, how much they're spending in terms of wages compared to what they should be care what's the what's the uefa figure the recommendation well, the, the uefa red line is 70 percent, and in in the championship it averages 107 and we've got oh. reading at the top with 226 yeah so for every 100 pound that reading make they're spending 226 pound on on wages so that's uh they they're the figures that get my eyebrows going up and down more also kieran's tales of past girlfriends they you know I've stopped. My eyebrows have stopped going up on it. I, gla- I glaze over when these new stories come out. I just, I just wish there was room for me to talk about my exotic past. But you know, but it's still, it, it's, it, it's an odd thing about why it's so popular, Callum. It's like one day there will be a time when football clubs are all owned by the fans or by decent people or by charities, and then we won't need a pod. And so it's, it's an odd thing to think that the, the world we're looking for is a world in which our podcast doesn't have to exist or if our producers are listening at the very least if it does have to exist that we actually make some money out of it as well <laughs> and the question that always comes to my mind every time i listen to the show kieran is football owners directors especially those when they're publishing their accounts they've got ways that obviously you can see through them but as kevin said as fans when you're explaining on the pod about a small print or one of the things you said recently was 
a profit and loss that you could make a profit as big as you want or as small as you want and for me i just thought like how does how on earth does that work but that just blew my mind because i thought at least the accounts will give you the true number but as you've rightly said not always uh yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of leeway for interpretation and manipulation of numbers now the vast majority of clubs uh won't engage in things of that nature um but i've been i've been teaching since the 80s so i've got to over that period of time and it's only in the past few years that i've i've ever gone sort of public on things um you get to know where where the where the bodies lie and if, if you do that it's just like if you were uh if, if you're a pathologist and you, and you see a body you, you know where to look for the the signs of damage um and it's just come over a number of years but uh there's nothing there's nothing special in what i do it's just just been doing it for a long time uh but there i if, if i wanted to make the numbers look good or bad and, and that was partly due to to my experiences of of working in russia where it, it is such a corrupt country that you you ended up producing different sets of numbers for different people because they were having different different slices of your money it's just it's just fascinating to me and in terms of the show itself one of the questions that i've always wanted to ask both of you would you consider taking the show on the road because i actually think for instance kevin you mentioned the the edinburgh fringe and i know obviously for, for comedy that's that's an incredible festival i love going there myself obviously the beauty of living and in Scotland is that it's easy for me to get to. Would would you consider taking the show on the road to something like the Edinburgh Fringe and maybe having a few different guests on? Because I think in the live arena it would be it would be an incredible show because obviously when you're on the record and you're recording, the stories are incredible. But I imagine off the record the stories will be uh-huh. even more shocking <laughs> as well. Yeah, I, this this is going to be the first year in about thirty that I won't be at Edinburgh for the fringe. You know, I I can't tell you how sad that's making me. Callum, we, we, funnily enough, in the very first weeks, uh, Guy, the producer, uh, who's a big football fan, but he's a, you know, he's a business producer, so he's always been looking for ways for him to monetize the podcast. Uh, it will trickle down to us eventually. He, 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 talked, he talked in the very first weeks about doing it live, and, and Kieran and I both thought that we hadn't yet properly established it to, to do that. But I think it's something that... We would want to do the only the only problem is that, that Kieran is 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 absolutely right. Kieran's uh, a brilliant broadcaster, but he's not a natural show off. Whereas I am both a brilliant broadcaster and a natural show off. <laughs> uh, and if we had a, an audience of quite a lot of people, I would just resent any time that they spent listening to Kieran talking. To be perfectly honest, <laughs> um, we would we would like to do because we've we've thought about it. See, what, one idea that we had was that we would do it at various football clubs. But as Kieran pointed out, there's a lot of football clubs that wouldn't let us in, basically, <laughs> to do it. Um, and I think it needs to be so. But certainly it's something we have considered um, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a fringe show. And, yeah, we've had a, a bit of interest in the idea of doing a book based on the pod and based on some of the questions. But I would, I would love to do a live one. I, get, I mean, the trouble is, as, as I found out, right, I, I used to think that it was that on stage you were legally able to say what you wanted if, as long as you're on stage in a public environment. And a, a lawyer came up to me after a, a, a rant I'd done about Prince Andrew and he said, I, I, think, <laughs> I think you need to, to tone, down, tone that down. And I said, no, it's fine. I said it on, in, on stage in front of a microphone. He said, I, I, I don't know who told you that, but uh, that's, it's still what you said is still both slander and libel. And I said, well, it's a, it's famous fact in the comedy world that the royal family don't sue. He said, I don't know who told you that. <laughs> so my my one my one worry would be that in in a live environment because of course people want to ask you as you said they want to ask you the questions about their clubs and about people that they have heard rumors about so there, there would be that because neither kieran nor i would be sensible enough to go i'm afraid i can't tell you that we would both blurt out things that could probably get us arrested but it, it's definitely something that we would that we would look to do without without a doubt because i i certainly didn't expect there to be so much interest in what it in in what we do but i also didn't expect listeners to to be so interested in and come up with questions that even kieran hadn't thought of and we had a question the other day on the pod about you know royalties for the music that's played at half time which is something that would never have crossed my mind in a, in a million years to to wonder about that. So we know that there are lots of areas to to discover, and 
I, yeah, I would, I would love to do it. I think we will do it live eventually. It's just it's just a way of, of seeing how we do it, basically. And also, to be fair, Kieran's wife, the the Baroness, she sees little enough of him as it is. That without, I'm not entirely sure she'd be happy for him to go, right, I'm off on a 24-week tour with Kevin, because, you know, what could possibly go wrong in that scenario? <laughs> in terms of yourself, Kieran, and, and you mentioned the fact that, first and foremost, you are a teacher, you're a lecturer. What do your students make of, of your publicity? Because, as I say, it, it must be, I, I'll be honest, that when I was at uni, I, most lecturers, it's, it's terrible to say, you, you're you're listening to them because you need to be there. Whereas with yourself, it's a case of you're on TV, you've got your you've got your podcast, you're yeah. you're an interesting guy. Do they find that interesting and is that something that's helped you in your teaching as well? That's a great question. Um yeah, it 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 I've I've got a pretty much an open door because <laughs> um I've I've won quite a few <laughs> teaching awards. Uh and people say, "Well, what, what, what are you, what are you doing? That's right." I say, "Well, I've, I've not got a clue. I, I just teach something that people are interested in." So it's it's very, very easy for me. You know, the, the poor sods are having to teach sort of you know complex corporate tax and things of that nature, and and I breeze in with, "Guess what? Uh, you know, such and such a club has been up to," and and show show them off. So um, yes, it it, it helps uh, having the subject matter. Um, it, it certainly helps having you know my, my showbiz pal. Uh, as, as I refer to him in uh, in class, Kevin, to, to 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 refer to from the shows, and they all they all listen to the show because they think there might be something in it which relates to their exams, and there never is, of course. Uh, yeah, I've, I've got a, I've, I'm very very fortunate that I've got a job which uh, allows me to to talk about something which I'm I'm very enthused about, and uh, yeah, the, the, stu the students do do lap it up, uh, and it's. The only awkward thing is because sort of my teaching has expanded a bit. I now end up teaching footballers and ex-footballers uh, when they're sort of at a certain point in their career where they're looking to move on and so on. Um, and I felt really uncomfortable um, autographing copies of my book to a footballer who'd scored the winning goal in an FA Cup final. I go, this, this is just not right, you know, because I am, I'm starstruck by the people that are in the room. Uh, and that, that makes me feel very uneasy because it, it's, it's not right. I'm, I'm just, a, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying teaching is, is just a profession, but uh, because I think it's a hugely important uh, part of, of life. And, and it's a way to, to get people out of poverty coming from a a family of Irish bricklayers and farmers, you know, for me to get an education was, was something I'm, I'm very privileged to have done. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm just very lucky. The, the, the footballer Kieran is talking about there, who scored the winning goal in the FA Cup final, is Laurie Sanchez, who got the hump with me because I refer to him as taciturn <laughs> on the podcast. I should have referred to him as grumpy because that's what he essentially is. I met him a few times, but he got the hump because I said taciturn. But I was chuckling at the start of that because when Kieran says he has a very much an open door policy, he very much has an open door policy, <laughs> just in life, in life as well as in teaching. I've just, yeah, I've just remembered you talked about eyebrow-raising moments. I've, just, I've been thinking about some of them. The, the, the most recent one that really wrote was the fact that Liverpool lost money by winning the Premier League and the Champions League because of all the bonuses they had to pay. That was a big eyebrow-raising moment. Absolutely, and uh, as you say, the, the the thing that also raised my eyebrows um, was the another one about Liverpool was the fact that they didn't sign a player, but yet they still paid paid agents the most money. Obviously, because of contract negotiations. But for me and a lot of football fans, that would have been quite a, a moment of well, they've not been active in the transfer market. How on earth can that be? But as you say, you you explained that one and and, and made us realise why. Yeah, I think agents get an awful lot of stick uh, from from football fans, and certainly when I was when I was researching the book, that that I guess was my sort of preconception. But I, I spoke to I spoke to Neil Doncaster, um, who's head of uh, SBFL, uh, and he was uh, you know, there's good bits and bad bits. I spoke to a couple of chief executives at clubs, and uh, we've also had an agent on the show, Jonathan Booker, who's, who's mm. a huge fan of the show. He's always he's always uh, giving me new information, which we which we sort of leak in into stories. Um, and he's a really good guy, and he says you you got to remember, like all professions, there's there's both good and bad in it. And I think one of the biggest issues with football agents is to be a football agent you write out the football association a check for 600 pounds and that's it you're done yeah there's there's no there's no police checks there's no ethics there's no exams there's no referencing it's 
it's it's a it's a it's a very very lucrative um industry if you get to the right points in it i think it's the hardest thing in football callum to explain as kieran said that there are good agents and bad agents because most football fans as soon as you mention football finances it's agents that football fans turn to and they and it's normally in an angry way because I find that most football fans don't resent the amount of wages that players are getting. They don't resent transfer fees for players, but they really resent the money that agents take out of the game. No one fully understands what agents do and they become a handy stick to beat football with. And the fact is, a lot of times that's that's right. Agents are not, from, from my point of view, agents are a, are a bane rather than a benefit. But of course, I'm not a footballer and I haven't got an agent acting on, on, on my behalf. But it's it's a hard sell trying to take to football fans. No, agents can be quite a, a good part of the game because football fans really don't don't trust them. And, and I think for, for a lot of the time, rightly so. I have to be honest and say that although I love you two in the show, there's, there's one person who I would like to see join the show on a permanent basis. And that would be Lawrence Bassini. Any are you up for that, Kieran? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm. I, I, I would think he would be, and he would he would take it off the scale. Um, <laughs> Lawrence Bassini, who was, who was banned from football for five years. Um, I, I know people that have looked after his professional interests. That's all I can say. <laughs> and, and even even they have said that they're not prepared to work for him anymore because. He will say one thing in a meeting with them and then go out to make a public announcement and say completely opposite. He's he's a bit like Trump in the sense that he's uncontrollable, um, but he's also very dangerous. I mean, what, what he did at Watford could have taken that club down. And, and the frightening thing is that you see him turning up at football grounds and then you see him in the director's boxes of clubs who aren't doing particularly well financially. So therefore, you know, they're up for sale at present. And if Bassini's there, you go, oh, you know, for heaven's sake, you, please, please, please don't let him anywhere near the game. <laughs> uh, it, it, it will it will result in tears um, and, and they won't be Lawrence's. And, and that's that's what I'm concerned about, because I don't want anybody to be going through what we're going to go through at present. You know, you know, uh, Kevin's been through it with Palace. We, we were practically there ourselves with Brighton. You know, our our ground was sold for seven million quid. And then you know, a few months later, it gets sold for 27 to somebody else. You know, there, there is so much uh, to be concerned about. Football is a lifelong love. Um, and anybody that tries to take away a lifelong love from you deserves contempt and abuse as far as I'm concerned. But it's, it's strange though, Kieran, isn't it? And this is a theme that we, we talk about quite a lot, that football, essentially, for all the money that's involved in football and, and globally, as we know, it's a huge brand, the Premier League, but in terms of finances, it's, it's a village industry. But football's a, a, a fairly small industry and yet week in, week out, we hear another story of a, a well-meaning club owner being taken in by somebody like Bassini. It's like, I, it's it's amazing that word doesn't get round that there are people you really don't want to touch with any length of barge pole, isn't it? But very much so. We, we, we look what happened at Wigan. Yeah, that was that was yeah. a classic, classic stitch up job with the issues at Charlton, uh, and often it is a case of that the view of the fans is that anybody is better than the person you've presently got. Yeah. So that was to a certain extent the case with, with Berry when, uh, when they had Stuart Day um, and swapped him for Steve Dale and then Charlton, uh, Roland Duchamp, Duchachelet, du, 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 du um, yeah. when he came in and, and he was replaced by the, these other two who, who didn't put money into the club. And now we're not quite sure who owns Charlton. Uh, there have been various documents lodged in the past couple of days at company's house and you go well I'm, I'm i'm genuinely nervous about the the future of that club and you know and, and, and we do put football rivalries aside you know, there's, there's no love lost between palace and charlton or palace and brighton but there's no way i'd want any of those clubs to to go to the wall because it, it does you know ultimately as fans what we've got in common is far greater than what we've got that sets us apart yeah well also callum when it comes to charlton uh uh, we discussed this when we you interviewed me a few weeks ago, and a uh, very, very good interview it was as well. I had to have a lie down afterwards. You asked a lot of questions I wasn't expecting to be asked. But um, uh, when it comes to Charlton, we on the Palace podcast we talk week in week out, and because there's a younger generation of fans who for whom mid table Premier League isn't enough. For me, my generation, I've I've been through two administrations. I've seen us 
home and away in the third division. I'm perfectly happy mid-table in the Premier League. There's a lot of Palace fans who, who go, no, we've got to spend more money. We've got to get in the UEFA League. We've got to get in the Champions League. And you just look at Charlton down the road from us who who did exactly that. They're a well-established Premier League team under Alan Kirby. They had seven or eight seasons in a row mid-table. And, and eventually the, the board succumbed to fan pressure, spent money they didn't have to try and get four more places up the Premier League table. And now... They're in this terrible situation. They're in danger of relegation to League One. And they've, they've had a succession of wrong-ins that have owned the club and have tried to take money out of the club and put nothing into it. So you, sometimes you have to say to football fans, be careful what you wish for. Because as, as Kieran says, the, the, you know, the next owner might not necessarily be better than the one you've got. One of the clubs that <clears throat> I'm worried about, and I have to <laughs> confess, as, as I've said, I'm a football fan, so I'm not educated in the financial side the way you are, Kieran. But I'm concerned for Bournemouth in the sense that I just think, and this is just a, as I say, a fan's opinion, how can they possibly be sustainable in the championship with the wage bill that they've currently got, with the size of stadium that they've got, and then probably going into part of next season if they do go down with no fans being allowed at games? Well, if you, if you think about it, if, if they've got no fans in the championship, they're they're in a stadium which, which has got practically capacity for no fans. So there's not actually a huge downside on that. Um, they, they will drop down from having Premier League money to uh, parachute payments, but that's still going to be significantly more than um, what, what they would be earning um, in, in the championship compared to other clubs. Um, when, you, when, you look, when, when I look at a club and say, well, OK, well, how can it generate income? The, the match day isn't important when you've got 11,000 capacity stadium. They've got the parachute payments. They'll have some legacy issues in terms of their, their commercial income. So what about other sources? Well, they've got Nathan Ake. They've got David Brooks. They've got, uh, they've got Josh. Uh, you know, they've got, I can't remember the names of all the players, but they have, yeah. I would say they've got five or, Josh King, they've five or six players who would be very attractive to... You know, and we've got to be honest here, clubs of the calibre of Palace and Brighton and Watford and those that stay up, who they could sell for somewhere in the region of, you know, five to 20 million pounds, potentially. So they will simply have a fire sale of players and they and they will use that money to um, to, to, to survive. They've also got an owner, a, a, a guy called Maxim Denim, who is is Russian and uh Bournemouth are based in the British Virgin Islands as far as their controlling interests are concerned. So uh, this this was something we discussed on today's show, uh, which, which we just put out, that uh, there are a number of countries right at the arse end of the FIFA rankings, all of which are tax havens. Um, and if, if, you've, if you've got money in the British Virgin Islands, it tends to mean that you're, you're pretty rich. So I'm not actually worried about Bournemouth, that they'll be fine financially. Uh, it, it's more of a case of football-wise... If, if they get rid of five or six of these players, are they going to replace them with the right ones to get themselves back up into the Premier League? Yeah, and, and also, Callum, with Bournemouth as well, because there's there's talk, tentative talk of this, the English season starting on the 12th of September with 40% capacity crowds allowed back in. And for Bournemouth, I mean, if they're getting starting their first game in the Championship with, with 5,000 people, that's not too bad for them in terms of match day income. So that part of it is sort of sheltered. But as Kieran says, the most important thing for the I, I get slightly impatient with the, the media love Bournemouth and they're always talking about plucky Bournemouth this and brave Bournemouth that. You know, they're owned by a Russian billionaire. So there's nothing brilliantly plucky about the story as far as I'm concerned. And, and Eddie Howe is also very much under the label taciturn. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You'd, oh, you'd, yeah. Look, this, again, this is a conversation we should have in a live environment rather than on Callum's podcast. <laughs> we don't want all three of us getting into trouble, do we? Right. <laughs> he, he, he's not a ray of sunshine, let's put it that way. <laughs> the other um, club that I think everyone is, is interested by when it comes to their finances is Sunderland because so many people have watched the documentary series, um, yeah. the first season, the second season, I have to say, was utterly bizarre in terms of, I've, I thought, <clears throat> when I watched Martin Bain in season one, I thought, right, there can't be anyone that Sunderland bring in that can be that out of touch again. And then they went and trumped him with Charlie Bevan. What's the situation there? Because it's a club that surely, again, can't be sustainable in League One. There's talk of wage caps at that level. If there was a wage cap, how on earth would Sunderland comply? Um, 
Well, well, Sunderland's wage bill uh, last season in League One was £27 million. So to get it down to £2.5 million pounds, uh, next season will, will be quite a challenge. Uh, probably um, not feasible from a, from a legal perspective because you've got people embedded in contracts. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's, a, it's a very strange one. Um, the club is up for sale. I have had phone calls from somebody who is supposedly trying to buy the club. Um, so I, I can't say too much. Uh, but uh, yeah, whether these people are serious, whether they've got the resources needed, uh, it's it, it's it's a fascinating uh, it's, it's a fascinating story. I mean, certainly in terms of Sunderland, uh, how how not to manage a club from an ownership point of view. I, I think they are a, a superb case study. The number of chief executives they've they've been through in the last decade is frightening. I think I think they've had three or four that have been sacked. But then, of course, I go into the small print and, and I've got all of their payoffs as well. And, and they're paying, you know, um, Martin Bain, who you mentioned, he 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 come off with a with a huge payout uh, for for that season in the championship. And, and you wonder why uh, these people are getting paid so much money. You know, is, is it is it because it's embedded into their contract or is it because they they, they sign a non-disclosure agreement when they leave? Um, and, and that's part of the deal that there's that there is something not quite right. And, and of course, it's the fans who suffer because they only get half truths and uh, glib management speak. Um, I was at the was at some football awards a few months ago before the, the lockdown and I was sat on a table with, uh, with, with a bunch of lads from Sunderland um, and, and they were telling me about some of the things that Charlie Methven had said to them. And it was it was it was really insulting. And, and, and unfortunately, this is the view of us. Uh, and by us, I mean football fans from too many people in, in the game that we're there simply to be monetized, patronized and, and our love for the club exploited. And, you know, if, if the one 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 thing of any good comes from from our show is, is we're trying to show, well, you know, we, we're not. You, you look at all the fantastic work that's been done by fans. Um, yeah, we, we had Caroline from the Wigan Supporters Club on the show recently. And to raise 150 grand in the middle of a recession, in the middle of a pandemic in, in just over a week to help support the club from being organized, it just shows you. Uh, the nature and the the ability of football fans to to come together and and do right things for the right reasons. It's an indication, Callum, that Kieran and I have been married too long. Uh, in that I've had written down, it's the fans who suffer off the back of that Sunderland discussion because I spent a lot of time at Sunderland uh, over the years doing various broadcasting things. Where, when Niall Quinn was up there as the public face of the club, and they are. There's no such thing as an unfriendly football club. Every club is great, but they they were such a fantastic club to visit. They couldn't be nicer. I, I struck up a relationship with with a lot of the people who work there, a lot of the people, the lads who run a Love Supreme, the, the Sunderland uh, fanzine and podcast, just generally Sunderland fans. And, and my heart breaks when because people go, oh, Sunderland are in trouble. This has happened to Sunderland. And what they mean is 40,000 Sunderland fans are in trouble 40,000, know, yeah, it's, it's it's the same with Wigan. You give Wigan a 12-point deduction because they're, the, been, they're victims of fraud and it's the fans that suffer from that. It's the 70 people that are made redundant from the administration that suffer from that. And and too often when these things are reported in the media, they the media talk about football clubs as though it's just a sort of imaginary concept and it's not. It's a football club, whether it's a, a, a club like Partick Thistle, whether it's a club like Ross County, whether it's Torquay United, whether it's Forest Green Rovers, whether it's Man United or Liverpool, a football club is made up of the 2,000 or 200,000 people that support it. And it's those people that suffer when irresponsible owners and irresponsible people and people like Charlie Methon take over a football club. And that's 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 what annoys me most about football owners, basically. And that's one of the reasons I get, I'm so pleased to be doing the price of football because we can at least call these people to order sometimes or at least point out that these people exist and that it's it's us that they're screwing over. One of the other um, interesting things I want to ask is, Kevin, you're a contributor to Have I Got News For You. Yeah. Kieran, you're someone who enjoys Viz Comics, as I judge from your social media. Do you ever try and, and tell Kevin something that you want to get in the show in terms of a joke? No, no, no um, that would be like showing trying to show Cristiano Ronaldo how to do keepy-uppies. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I know my place. Uh, <laughs> I, I love Viz because I am pathetically childish. And 
I'm I'm as proud as having 34 entries in the Viz Profanosaurus as I am of my own book. Yeah, it, it's it's just I, I'm I'm an eternal 12 year old. Um, so uh, I, I would I wouldn't dream of trying to write a joke. I wouldn't. Uh, they they have a certain construct. One of my one of my favourite podcasts I listen to is is the Comedians Comedian podcast. Uh, with is it Stuart Goldsmith? He's the, he's the host of yeah. that, and uh, it, it always intrigues me just how seriously people in Kevin's industry take their profession. So therefore, you, you don't you don't need amateurs getting involved. Uh, and and I'm not funny. So yeah, yeah that, 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 that's that's a separate issue, of course. That's that's not true, Kieran. You're not deliberately funny. You are you are funny. I've, I should point out I've been in Viz as well, by the way. In in uh, me and Doris Day had a column in Viz. Uh, <laughs> Kieran, Kieran knows as well, Callum, that there's a certain look on my face. That he he interprets quite rightly when he tries to be funny. It, it's I I, it's, I I go all full Mount Rushmore on him. Basically, it's just immobile. <laughs> but um, but also, I mean, it's interesting that comedians comedians do take their profession seriously. It's what we do for a, a living, and we love it. But you know, the as soon as the microphone stops recording for the comedians comedian podcast, basically they will turn into twelve year old kids as well. I mean, some of the things that comedians say to each other in dressing rooms are neither big nor clever basically but um yeah no kieran is kieran's funny kieran's uh, kieran would be a great uh, guest on desert island discs except a lot of people would turn off shocked and offended halfway through kieran's got some kieran's humor comes in long story form rather than short joke form let's put it that way <laughs> and in terms of the, the the show as a whole we've talked about the fact that you may take the show on the road which would be incredible it's it, the success of the show, well over half a million listeners, which is absolutely fantastic as well. In terms of the long term of the show, you, you, we've talked about as football fans, we'd love to see a, an avenue where football ownership could be from the fans, from the community yeah. and, and be a nice rose garden. But sadly, the chances of that happening in the next 10 years are, are probably quite slim. Do well, you got- think that, sorry, Kevin, do you think that with the coronavirus situation that there could be things like wage caps that come in across football, across the board, and make football a wee bit more sensible, and we might see that on the show, or do you think that's buying the sky? Well, Kieran can give you a proper financial answer on that. I, I that We talked about Chesterfield on today's show, who I think will be, if, if the fans' takeover goes through, I think will be the first team in the country to be owned by a charity, uh, which would be great. There's Scotland uh, leads the way, basically, in, in fan ownership. They're way ahead of us. But my my big fear about COVID, of course, was that within two or three weeks, we'd lose 30 or 40 clubs, I think. And I, I, so far, touch wood, I think it's brilliant that for the most part, apart from the odd you know, places like Oswald Street Town, that football has turned out to be more robust than we thought. And, and please God, we're coming out of it and we'll come out of it with, with nearly as many teams as we went into it with. But I, I, sometimes I come up with things that Kieran says, that's a lovely idea, but it can't be done. But I would, if we could head to, the, the Bundesliga is always the model column for me, basically. It's, Germany is a wonderful place to go and, and visit football. I love Union Berlin and my German team. Uh, not that I believe in having a second team, of course, unlike Kieran, who's got 14 at the last count. But um, it's that the German model, and it's it's interesting because we've talked about RB Leipzig uh, quite a lot, and then the fact that the RB doesn't technically stand for Red Bull, but it, German fans get apoplectic with anger at clubs that try to break the model, that, that model in German football where no one person can own the football club and that fans have fully invested in the football club. And that's that's something we really need to look at. But then on the other, the downside of that is that German clubs can't afford to bid millions and hundreds of millions for the best players in the world. So their, their broadcasting money isn't as good. But then the upside of that is that they have to develop young talent to it. So the national side is good. So that's I think that's a sort of complicated roundabout way of saying that there are swings and roundabouts in the different models but i would i would be really really happy if if this crisis one thing that came out of it was that we started to look at football clubs being run in a more sensible way and we started to get football fans running their own clubs the trouble is with that of course that we saw that at palace where mark goldberg who was essentially a fan bought the club he did what i would have done he ruined it essentially because you know if, if i was to win 100 million quid and buy crystal palace i'd i would change the kit back to claret and blue stripes and then i'd be pretty much out i wouldn't know what to do so it's it's an interesting one but i think i think fan ownership is the way is the way to go and now i'll hand over to kieran for a sensible answer well i i 
I, I like the idea of fan ownership. Uh, we, we were discussing Wickham Wanderers getting promoted to the championship on uh, this week's show. But they wouldn't be in existence if they were still in fan ownership. That was that's the frightening thing. They they were rescued by a private investor. We've seen Portsmouth uh, have a series of absolute scumbag owners, and they are playing this this horrible game of top, of pass the parcel in terms of the assets for a number of years. And Leeds went through a similar process, and you know, Leeds uh, looks like they're going to go back in the Premier League, which is fantastic for for them. Um, I, I fan ownership in an ideal world in my utopian world it, it would be the the way forward but um if if, if a sugar daddy comes along if, if you talk to manchester city fans do they have any objections being owned by a sovereign wealth fund from the middle east um you'll go they'll go well wh- wh- why should we you know we've, we've won the premier league four times in eight years uh we're playing football which pra- hasn't been seen in this country probably not on this planet uh on on occasions uh you know wh- what's there to moan about so uh, th- there is no simple answer. I-, I am genuinely concerned that w- whatever rules that we try to have in respect of some form of restraint uh, in terms of the owners, um, one of our silver tongue friends, who is always smarter than the people uh, who-, who they're in conversation with, they will come up with a scheme which will circumvent the rules. Um, and that's the nature of any rule-based society. You can't you can't have a rule which says you know, just don't be a scumbag because it's very difficult to to define what exactly a scumbag is. So yeah, I'm, I'm with Kevin in principle. It just doesn't work in in practice. Uh, you know, we we both support sides where new owners have come in historically, and we thought that they were the, the best things in sliced bread when we listened to their initial. Uh, that were initial uh, claims and projections and then a few years later you're wondering am I going to have a club to support next week yeah the irony of that though Kieran is if that um, I'm not too sure about Scotland but if if the Premier League and the EFL's fit and proper person test actually consisted of saying are you a scumbag that would (laughs) probably be that would be more helpful than the current one now which basically says are you in prison have you got a check so, I mean, that's, again, you, you talked about eyebrows earlier on, Callum. That's one of the things that I still constantly raises my eyebrows, the fact that clubs are pretty much allowed to be taken over by anyone. And it seems even the most cursory check on them would reveal they shouldn't have been allowed to take over a club. And yet the EFL happily nodded it through. That's a, another issue that needs to be resolved because, you know, as Kieran says, I try not to use words like scumbag as I try to be the sensible one, ironically, on the pod. But he's absolutely right. And, and week in week out the scumbags seem to creep in and, and the football authorities really don't seem to care because the, the the criteria for not being able to take over a football club it just seems non-existent essentially it's a very low bar yeah it's a very low bar indeed and then before i let you both go it's, we need to mention the fact that palace and brighton the rivalry now i know kevin you try and wind kieran up and he never takes the, the bait with that how frustrating <laughs> is that for you it's not frustrating because I know internally that he's taken the bait. He's, uh, you know, he, uh, and also he, he has to try and sleep at night knowing he supports a morally inferior football club. You, don't, you only have to look at our relative birds, to be honest. I mean, the, the eagle is a, a mighty bird of prey that soars on the, the mountain winds and the, the seagull is a chip-stealing rat. So, you know, that pretty much sums up the difference between the two the two clubs. I, I hold the moral height. You know, they stole our song. They wear a Tesco kit back uh, shirt, basically. So, you know, they've got a nice stadium. I'll give them that in a kind of bland sort of way. But he he, know, he knows he supports the wrong team. He, he should have supported Mill, really. He's a Bermondsey boy, but, you know, he's ended up supporting Brighton. And he's a look, he's a teetotaler who loves Muesli and Hummus and Quinoa. So he's supporting the right club, basically. He's got a Spaniel. Of course he supports Brighton. <laughs> Any response, Kieran? <laughs> Well, I wasn't aware that there were any uh, mountains in Croydon on which the Eagles saw. But uh, no, I, 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 I hate Crystal Palace when they play football and that because <laughs> that's what you should do. Um, but I've got loads of mates who support Palace. I, mean, I grew up in South London myself. And, and the thing is, we've, al- we've always argued that for, for 90 minutes twice a season, we'll abuse each other. And the rest of the time, give, give, me, a, give me the company of the Palace fan any time compared to the Plastics who support the big four or five clubs. Um, because 
football is not about success. Being a football fan is all about the misery, and and, and yeah. both clubs. Yeah, we, we've had plenty of misery because of because of the wrongons as owners, because of the the absolute slappings we get at times. Where, you know, during matches uh, from, from teams with far bigger resources, and and it's it, it's the misery that keeps the enjoyment going football is is always it's it's the greatest day out of the week spoiled by 90 minutes of what happens on the pitch yeah absolutely yeah Callum when is your your season started slated to start up there have you got a restart date yet the premiership will start on the 1st of August and then the leagues below will start on the 22nd of October oh, not that's, till then. that's assuming that hearts don't get their way Yes, so that situation, as you know, is it has been very interesting at the moment. Um, the SFA have now hit Hearts and Partick Thistle with a charge yeah. because they took the, the, the league to court. So just when you think it might be getting concluded soon, another curveball gets thrown. But hey, that's Scottish football for you. Yeah, I have to say one of the um, we've had quite a few guests on the on the pod, but the response we had when Neil Doncaster was on mainly positive, I have to say, from Scottish football fans. Not not necessarily so, but. Uh, one of the things we try and do on the on the pod is is not just concentrate on the Premier League and English football. And we we look at uh, football all over the world. And and we've got Kieran and I both have Scottish links. Uh, yeah, I've got family in Glasgow, and I love Edinburgh. It's, if I couldn't live in London, I'd live in Edinburgh. But we're both very concerned about Scottish football. And again, it's uh, the eyebrows are quite often raised when Scottish football is discussed, especially at a, a level outside the Premier League, where the, the, it's almost impossible to imagine that clubs can sustain themselves on the sort of money that they're making. Yeah, but if, if, if you look at, if you, if you were looking at Scottish football and compared it to English, if you took the Scottish Premiership, you've probably got two clubs the size, you know, say, say of Newcastle and Leeds. Then you've got a, a club, perhaps two or three sides the size of Millwall and Charlton and, and the rest of the size of Rochdale and all of those 12 clubs are somehow supposed to be in a competitive game together each season and you look at it from a financial perspective and you go well that how can earth that work but but somehow it does and I think the reason why it does work is that everybody knows exactly where they stand in terms of the pecking order and, and spends money accordingly. Well that's the thing I think in Scotland especially because of the financial crash 2008 the, the situation with Rangers, a lot of clubs I think as you've rightly said they're aware of their place and clubs like Motherwell for instance they are partly fan owned and they're very open that yes they will do their best to produce footballers of a good standard you think of James McFadden um, who went to, down to Everton many mm. years ago David Turnbull and a few others coming through they're very open with their fan base like look we will produce these players and endeavour to but when they are successful we will sell them and because the fans are aware of the finances the fans actually in a way they're gutted to see them go but they're also proud the fact that the club can produce their own to help them become sustainable which I find refreshing in Scottish football yeah, well, we've got two ex-Hamilton players at Palace, so. Well, that's it. In terms of Hamilton as well, you've rightly said, Hamilton are a club that always seem to produce players from their academy and another club that are open and honest. They're a good community club that when they produce a player and there is interest, if it works for the club, then they'll happily move them on because to be sustainable, they understand that they need to, to sell to survive. And I think... Even Celtic and Rangers have found that in recent years. You look at, at Celtic's success going for 10 in a row this year. They've sold a player pretty much every summer. Um, mm. A major player, you think of Wanyama, you think of Van Dyke, you think of Dembele. So even Celtic, who many see as one of the cornerstone teams of Scottish football, they're even open at the fact that once a year, one of their key crown jewels will have to leave in order to remain sustainable for the long term as well. Mm. And the other thing I wanted to, to to say just before just before I let you go was that I think the fact that you both are happy to to incorporate Scottish football into the show is something that is is well received up here because a lot of the time there's that whole attitude that sometimes English fans are are, are accused of oh my nan could score up there it's a terrible league but I've actually found that yes you might get a few of those. But as Kieran referenced, I find that it's the plastics that give you that attitude because mm. outside of watching Man United at Old Trafford or Arsenal at the Emirates, they aren't interested in watching an EFL match, never mind a Scottish match. Whereas mm. I've found from fans of the likes of Palace, Brighton and others that 
like yourselves, it's it's a case of we're not we're not going to lie and say we watch it every week, but we definitely see value in it. Well, it's it's interesting, you know, uh, as I, Kieran will have a different answer to this as well, as I know he has uh, links with Scottish football. But when I was growing up as as a kid, I knew the name of the manager, the nickname, the ground, the kit of every single club in England, but also in Scotland. Scottish football was much more pervasive then. And every first division club, like Palace, when they first got into the first division, we had seven Scottish players. We, even though our manager was from Swindon, he based the team around Scottish players, and in the in the seventies and eighties, every every English club in the top division had two or three Scottish players. So we knew about Scottish football as well. And then suddenly, as, as we got more global and as we got more European, we started to get our players from you know from from Africa and, and from from Europe and from from, from South America. And, and the number of Scottish players began to dwindle, and, and so did the interest in. Scottish football. I sometimes I'm sometimes ashamed of the lack of knowledge of of Scottish football. It, you know, every now and again, somebody will trot out the Archie Gemmell goal, uh, and that's pretty much it. And it's it's a shame because it's only two decades ago that most English football fans knew something about Scottish football. It's it's and it's old, and it annoys me because it's I, what Scotland is a brilliant place to go and watch football games. I one of them the happiest games I ever saw. I went to see. Uh, Cowden Beef play a few years ago with some comedy mates. It's a great after. It's a really great. It's a great place to watch football, and it's really annoying that the. I mean, the English media have no. That's part of the problem. The English, even even ten, twelve years ago, you'd get a match report on Rangers Celtic games now, but you won't. It, the English media, the newspapers, there'll be nothing about Scottish football in in our editions of the paper, and that that annoys me. There'll be more about French football and German football than there will be about Scottish football. Oh, I think we might have lost Kieran. Kieran, you're still there? Yeah, I'm here. here. No, he he dozes off. What happens is he either dozes off or he casts his mind back to his Russian girlfriend. (laughs) You you lose him for a few minutes, basically. (laughs) What's your thoughts on Scottish football? Well, I mean, the Baroness is from Edinburgh. So, um, you know, I I do have that particular connection. I, I thought Scottish football, because England was so rubbish during the 70s, remember, uh, you know, myself and Kevin are of the age where, where, where we'd be wanting Scotland to do well in the World Cup because it, <laughs> it was that British representation. And uh, yeah, Scotland did have that conveyor belt of players in, in the 70s of 80s. And one of the things that I've wondered, you know, to, why has it dried up to the extent that it has? Now, is it is it a cultural thing? Is it, uh, is it is it lack of facilities? Is it because Scottish football itself is is getting players from other countries in Europe and and therefore not developing their own? Uh, but it, but for a for a country such as Scotland, which has such a a great history and heritage in terms of football, it does it does disturb me that they've sort of fallen off. Yeah, you know, the fact that Wales did so well in in the Euros Championships and the, and the Republic of Ireland are qualifying for them as well, and the Northern Ireland, it, it must be very frustrating to be a Scottish football fan. Uh, well, I have to say, it is, and what sums it up for me is <laughs> I hear some people in England complaining about maybe we've got too many midfielders or too many strikers. Our two best players are left backs. If that doesn't sum up, <laughs> that doesn't sum up the issues we've got, then nothing ever will. But it's interesting because we talked about this on our pod, Callum, a few weeks ago, and Gordon Strachan was quite vocal about what he called the lack of professionalism lower down Scottish football, you know, the lack of academies, the lack of decent pitches, the lack of training facilities as well. So it's, it's, it, unfortunately, it's not something that could be rectified overnight, is it? Well, that's the thing. It's going to be a long-term project and hopefully one that we'll see us qualify at least for Euro 2020, although we'll be played yeah. next year and then and beyond. But it's we've just got to stay positive. But I just want to say before I let you go, thank you to both of you for coming on the show. As I say, Price of Football podcast is is my favourite podcast, as I say, because it's got the mix of teaching me something every time I listen to it, but also making a laugh, which not many other shows do. So keep up the great work. And just remind us before you go how we can follow you on Twitter. And Kieran, if you want to plug the book, feel free to plug it now because it's a great book. Uh, well, I, I did write a book for my students, really, because there isn't one on football. Fight. It's called The Price of Football. Um, I, I don't make a penny from it. All, all the royalties go to the Trussell Trust. Uh, I, I think we've got a responsibility to, to help people less fortunate than ourselves. So this is a way of doing this. It's uh, one of the leading food bank charities. If, if, if you want to 
get her to a you know a bit bit more of a grip on some of just the weird stuff um and and he's sort of a trawl through the weird uh in terms of football finances then yeah yeah I mean, i'd love it if you if you bought a copy to help a good cause and and uh you know ho- hopefully uh inform educate entertain as well i mean that that i think has been sort of the bywords of the of the podcast uh yeah we, we do have these sort of old old-fashioned wreathian views as to uh what uh, what the show should be and that that seems to work so i'm i'm kira mcguire on twitter um uh it, it it's that the, the podcast is the price of football uh it is it is a mix uh so today in today's show we go everywhere from um looking at uh looking at tax havens in football to have you ever had a poo at a football <laughs> ground? Um, so yeah, we try to cover a broad range of subjects which impact upon fans. Yeah. The, the, the poo one, there is a financial basis to that, by the way, it wasn't <laughs> just two old men talking about whether or not they can get to the toilet in a, in a football ground. And also the, we do, we do, as Kieran says, we do two versions on Thursday. It's a sort of newsy one, but the one that comes out on Monday, which is getting increasingly longer is, is questions from fans. And, and, we take questions on any subject, whether it's an individual club or a general thing. And, and also, I'm an idiot when it comes to football finance. I can't stress enough that if if you think your question's a, a dumb one, it's not compared to some of the things I say. So questions at Price of Football is how you get in touch with that. With that. And thank you for having us on, Callum. It's your support is very much appreciated. And just before, Kevin, how do we follow you on Twitter as well? I am... Uh, Kevin Day was taken, so I am at Kevin Hunter Day. Uh, Hunter's my middle name, not because I used to be a gladiator. That was the name of the doctor that uh, delivered me. So uh, I'm at Kevin Hunter Day. Brilliant. Thanks again. All the best, guys.